And uh, the reading today comes from Mark 5, 21 to 43. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue, named Jairus, came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say that? Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, um, he saw a commotion, people weeping and waiting, wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead but sleeping, and they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talai Tha'kam, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Hear the word of the Lord. Well, hello again, St. Barnabas. Um, It is such a privilege to be sharing with you this morning from this passage and giving you a bit of an insight into what it is that I'm heading to up north. Um, Before we get started, why don't I pray for us? Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, might the meditations of our hearts and our minds be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, as we said before, my name's Zoe. I'm on my way to Nuka or Nukur, if you're kind of pronouncing it in the local way, um, up in the Northern Territory. So there's a bit of a map there. It's if you get to Catherine and then head a bit further south to Matarenka and then turn east, we're about three hours east of Catherine up in southern Arnhem Land. 
It is still in Australia, uh, but there are some pretty big differences between life here in Melbourne uh, and life up in Nooka. Uh, so on the next slide, uh, you'll see that the main language actually isn't English, even though it's in Australia. Uh, the main language spoken is Creole, so church will be in Creole, shopping, hang out with friends, everything is done in Creole, which is a kind of English local language hybridisation. Uh, the coldest month is still in the middle of the year, it's about June, but the average top temperature during the day is still 31 degrees, even though that's their coolest month. So it's going to be hot, I will need your prayers for that, I grew up in Ballarat, I quite like the cold. Um, and it's also quite remote, so that there is a general store in town, but the closest Woolies is going to be 320 k's away uh, over in Catherine. Uh, so it's in, it's in Australia, but life is pretty different up in remote Arnhem Land. It's also a very beautiful area. Um, I visited back in 2001, and there's a photo of myself and my family in the, enjoying the swimming pool in Nooka. So I'm the little one over the back in the pink and blue T-shirt there. Uh, and we went up as part of a trip from our church to paint the kitchen in the rectory of the church. Uh, and in God's sense of humour, that building, that house that we painted, is going to be the house I'm living in. Uh, so praise God for the way that he works in surprising and unexpected ways um, in, throughout the stories of our lives. But life in southern Arnhem Land isn't all just sunshine and swimming pools. Out in community, life can be pretty tough. Uh, it's a complex web of challenges that people face. It's not just a single thing. Um, involves the remoteness of communities, broken families, chronic illness, overcrowded accommodation, community grief from the really high frequency of deaths. And I find myself asking, uh, what's to be done? You know, our, our government has been throwing money at communities for years, and not only is it not really making a difference, but a lot of reports are saying that actually the situation is getting worse. A few, a few years ago, following the Northern Territory intervention, uh, Richard Condy, who was the vicar of St. Jude's at the time, he approached one of the anthropologists who'd been really outspoken about the intervention, about how awful it had been for communities. And Richard asked this woman, a non-believing lady, uh, what it was that churches could be doing to affect meaningful change and to walk with our brothers and sisters out in remote communities. And this woman, this non-Christian woman, said to Richard something along the lines of that the, one of the biggest challenges facing remote communities is alcohol abuse. And if he wanted to do something to really change the outcome for Aboriginal Australians in remote communities... Uh, then his church should be training up Aboriginal ministers to go to communities and to tell people about Jesus because the only thing that this woman had ever seen help people get off the drink was getting religion. So what is it about getting religion uh, and having Aboriginal ministers telling their people about Jesus which affects such change in really complex, difficult situations? Well, at CMS, at the Church Missionary Society, our vision is for a world that knows Jesus. And this implies that actually knowing Jesus 
is a good thing. But sometimes I think if we're honest, we don't really live as if knowing Jesus is a good thing. But as I read the scriptures and as I see Jesus interacting with people, I see a saviour who defies the barriers of power and race and privilege. I see a saviour who looks beyond the surface and engages with the person before him, inviting them into relationship and holding out hope where there is seemingly no hope. So this morning, uh, we've already heard from Mark 5, 21 to 43, and we're going to jump back into this passage and think about the question of how is the message of Jesus Christ good news for a hurting world? How is the message of Jesus Christ good news for a hurting world? Well, you might have noticed in our passage uh, that was read that we kind of have a story within a story. This is a classic Mark and sandwich, uh, a feature of Mark's gospel, where the story of Jairus forms the bread, uh, sandwiching that meaty story in the middle of the bleeding woman. Mark hasn't just forgotten his train of thought or got distracted halfway through. Um, He's actually woven these stories together really intentionally uh, so that together we see more in them than we would separately. When we meet Jesus, uh, he's just gone back to the Jewish side of the Lake of Galilee and a really big crowd has gathered. Uh, It's noisy and it's dusty and people are clamoring for Jesus' attention And then through the middle of this crowd comes a well-known, highly respected man in the region, and his name is Jairus. He's one of the rulers of the synagogue. And Jesus comes before Jesus, and he falls down at his feet, and he pleads with him to come to his house because his little daughter is on the brink of death. Well, Jesus obliges Jairus and he goes with him. But on the way, there's an interruption uh, and Jesus stops and we meet our second key character in our Mark and Sandwich, the bleeding woman. Well, in verse 25 and 26, uh, Mark writes, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians And it's been all that she had and was no better but grew worse. Do you note how emphatic his language is? Uh, This woman hasn't just had a bit of a rough patch. She's had 12 long years of menstrual bleeding and weakness, of of being excluded from society. Uh, She spent all of her money, but instead of getting better, she's grown worse And because of her condition, she's excluded from temple worship and sacred relationship with God. This woman doesn't even approach Jesus and and ask for a miracle, but instead she sneaks up in the crowd behind him with the hope of just touching his cloak, with the belief that this man is powerful enough that through just a touch of his clothing, she'll be healed. And the result is immediate. She knows in her body that she's healed and you can just sense her relief 
and joy that after 12 years, she is well. But then there's that gut-sinking moment when Jesus turns around and says, who touched my garments? It's that moment where you know you're caught out and you kind of want to vomit and you feel hot and cold all at the same time. Because for this woman, there wasn't a chance of having an anonymous healing. Jesus wasn't a miracle vending machine where she could just select her miracle of choice and then get out of there. But as one commentator said, she wanted the something and Jesus wanted the someone. Well, having heard her full story, Jesus responds tenderly to her and says, daughter, he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This can also be translated, your faith has saved you. Uh, The healing of Christ is more holistic than just the stopping of her bleeding. She has been saved. She is reinstated in society. She's given a chance to tell her story. And after 12 long years of being alone, she's invited into a family and cherished as a daughter. But while Jesus has been engaging with this woman... Time has slipped away and with it the life of Jairus' daughter. The message reaches Jairus and he's discouraged from seeking any further help from Jesus. But Jesus says to Jairus, do not fear, only believe. Jesus has just finished commending the woman for her great faith and the implication is Jairus, respected leader, You need to have faith like this unnamed, poverty-stricken woman. Well, Jesus still goes to the house with Jairus, and he doesn't just heal the 12-year-old little girl, but he does the unthinkable, and he brings her back to life. Now, there are... So many things about this story, which I'd love to get into, but we just don't have time this morning. Uh, Things like the fact they're both called daughter, uh, that Jesus rescues two women who were voiceless in society. Uh, Things like their their 12 years of life and suffering, uh, that despite Jairus' high standing in community, it's the poverty-stricken unnamed woman who's given the chance to tell her story and is commended for her faith. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible because it's, it's such a beautiful example of the lowly being raised up. But this morning, I just want to focus on three gifts that Jesus gives as we try and think about a question of how is the message of Jesus Christ good news to a hurting world? So first up, the gift of belonging, then the gift of unhurried time, And finally, the gift of new life. So the gift of belonging. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you completely didn't belong? You were on the outside in every way. Uh, Well, I mentioned before that my family and I spent a few years in rural Nepal as a a young child. And when I came back to Australia as a nine-year-old, I felt completely on the outside. I looked the same as my peers and I spoke the same language, but I didn't even know who the Spice Girls were, and this was the late 90s. 
But this woman in Mark 5 is more on the outside than not knowing who the Spice Girls are in the late 90s. She looks the same as the crowd. She speaks the same language, but her lived reality is so entirely other and so isolated. But when Jesus speaks to her in the crowd, he initiates a relationship with her. And rather than shaming or belittling or rebuking her, he calls her daughter. It's through faith in Jesus that the barriers to belonging and to being in relationship with God are removed for this woman, but also for us. Uh, There's a, a painting that I wanted to show you of three women visiting the tomb of Jesus. Um, There should be a slide for that one. It's by a woman called Sharon Alice from around Alice Springs. There it is. And Sharon describes, and it so beautifully describes the removal of these barriers that are found in Christ. Uh, Sharon said that when she was really surprised when she was reading the story of the women visiting the tomb of Jesus, because in her culture, women weren't allowed to enter sacred caves. And when these three women entered Jesus' tomb, they entered a sacred space. That removal from a sacred space had been eliminated because of Jesus. So just like the woman in Mark 5 who was healed by Jesus and able to enter sacred spaces again, so we too, when we're healed of our sin through faith in Jesus, can enter the sacred space of relationship with God. The Bible says in John 1, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who have been mistreated by the ones who should have protected them, to those who have been displaced and discounted from participating in society, Christ's invitation is to become cherished children of God co-heirs with Christ to an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. It's our first gift, the gift of belonging. The second gift is the gift of unhurried time. Well, you might have noticed that Jairus' request to Jesus is time-sensitive. But rather than hurrying to the bedside of this little girl, Jesus delays en route to attend to another matter. And during that time, a child dies. But Jairus isn't even the only one in need in this crowd. We met Jesus in verse 21 in the middle of a large, dusty, noisy crowd. And there was probably other people clamoring for healings and Jesus' attention. As John Mark Comer says in his book, A Ruthless Elimination of Hurrying, hurrying and love are like oil and water. They simply don't mix. He points out the many times in the Gospels that Jesus is on his way somewhere and he's interrupted en route. But rather than responding to that interruption with a terse reply or a dismissive answer, Jesus actually takes the time to engage with the person, to heal them, to teach, to explain the kingdom coming. There is a a stillness and a calm that accompanies the person of Jesus. 
even in the midst of a chaotic, noisy, dusty crowd. There's a readiness to have relationship with the people he meets, whether it's Jairus or the bleeding woman or the little girl. And this is something that Indigenous culture is excellent at and probably us in the South aren't so good at, at valuing people and relationships. Out in community, things don't start at an o'clock. They start when the right people are in attendance. But in my southern way, this is actually going to be a real struggle. Um, I really like to plan things and have them happen when I've planned them. And so I need your prayers for this. I need your prayers for patience and grace as I practice unhurried time. Just as Jesus operated on relational time to value the people around him, um, I have so much to learn from my Aboriginal brothers and sisters in in. Uh, copying Christ's example. It also makes me really thankful for CMS and churches like St Barnabas that are committed to long-term missions uh, where you're not hurrying me but there's time to learn language and invest in culture and and make relationships. Uh, So thank you for your patience as I give slightly vague answers to questions like what I'm going to do uh, because it is It is going to be a lot of unhurried time of spending time with people and it doesn't make for clean-cut answers. So thank you. And that's our second gift, the gift of unhurried time. And our third and final gift is the gift of new life. The woman who had nothing is gifted a full physical and social restoration. The little girl who had had life robbed from her too young is restored to life. Both of these women were classed as unclean in Jewish law. Uh, But as one commentator said, they both transfer their uncleanness to Jesus and to each Jesus bestows the cleansing wholeness of God. The gift of life is extended to all who put their trust in Jesus. In Christ, we're made a new creation. The old passes away and the new comes. I was speaking with a friend from uh, my church down in Footscray, the Indigenous Fellowship down there, about some of the stories of people in our church who had suffered greatly at the hands of Christians in the past. And I actually asked her how it was that they could put their trust in the God of people who had made them suffer. And she she looked at me slightly confused and she just said, Zoe, it's the gospel that saved them. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that gifts his followers new life and hope despite circumstances. As we recognize our belonging to the family of God, as we recognize Christ's gift of unhurried time and our restoration, our hope of eternal life with Christ. So why is it that we want to see a world that Jesus, want to see a world that knows Jesus? How is the message of Jesus Christ good news to a hurting world? Well, the stories of Jairus and the bleeding woman speak of the grace and healing on offer for those who put their trust in Jesus. And the good news Uh, The gospel of Jesus Christ is that the gifts offered to Jairus and the bleeding woman and the little girl 
are also on offer to you and to me and to our brothers and sisters in Arnhem Land today. So over the past 115 years that the gospel has been proclaimed in Arnhem Land, in Nuka, men and women and children have found their healing and reconciliation and peace amidst some incredibly challenging circumstances because of the good news of Jesus Christ. So I'd ask that you would be praying with me and with the church in Arnhem Land that God would be raising up the next generation of Christian leaders who have experienced the gifts of belonging and of unhurried time and of new life through Jesus. I'd invite you to prayerfully consider partnering with me in the work that I'm going to do up there in supporting the local leaders of the church. Um, If you'd like to chat more about this or about CMS, uh, shoot me an email. My my email's up on the screen there, um, or you can jump on the CMS website to find out a bit more as well. Why don't you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, we are so eternally grateful for the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, we are thankful that we can come into your presence uh, with confidence because of the blood of Christ. And Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Arnhem Land who have known tremendous suffering and for whom life is difficult and challenging. Lord, we do pray that you would be strengthening your believers in that place and and strengthening particularly the church leadership in Nooka, that they might continue to find their hope and peace in Jesus. Father, we pray for ourselves too as we go out into our week that we would know the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding, that it would be guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, God, we put our hope and our trust in you uh, and we thank you for the, the gift of life that you've given us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.